Coming up, we got a little bit of a quicker episode of the Rami Lavi podcast. The Yankees clinched the AL East. Aaron Judge hits his 61st home run. I have a career update. We preview the Thursday night game and we recap week three in the NFL. All that and more coming up next. Today's episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. I often talk on this podcast about breaking the stigma surrounding mental health. So if you're feeling stressed, depressed, or just want to talk, today's sponsor, BetterHelp, is here to help you. BetterHelp connects you with a licensed, experienced therapist online, and you have access to over 20,000 different therapists that you may not have access to in your area. All you have to do is fill out a questionnaire, and 48 hours later, you're set up with a therapist that fits your needs. You can then schedule video or phone calls and have access to unlimited messages back and forth with your experienced therapist. You can also change to a new therapist at any time with no extra charge. I often talk on this podcast about how perspective is anything, and that's something I learned in therapy. I had terrible anxiety, and I learned about how changing your perspective can change the reality. So take charge of your mental health and join the over 2 million people who already use BetterHelp for therapy online today. And if you use my code, you can get an extra 10% off on your first month. So go to betterhelp.com Rami for 10% off. That's B-E-T-T-E-R help h-e-l-p dot com slash rami for 10% off your first month do it today welcome back to the rami la vie podcast it's presented as always by better help episode 98 and it feels great to be back because it's been a while since i've talked to you guys because it's been almost a week with the holidays and all that stuff going on so i finally get to be back on here um and it feels good to be back it's crazy how i go a week now without talking and it feels like forever but we're back and the lead story is not the nfl again it's aaron judge and the new york yankees and last night aaron judge hit 61 the night before that the yankees clinch all is good in yankee world where we were getting nervous all of a sudden they write the ship it's been going well in the month of september it's exactly what we talked about now it feels like okay there's some momentum let's carry it into october let's make a run at the playoffs it's everything you needed that's what you get on tuesday night and then on wednesday night aaron judge puts the cherry on top And he hits the home run, which is number 61. And oh, by the way, he hit it, of course, in a tie game, 3-3, to give the Yankees a 5-3 lead at that point in the game. A huge turning point ultimately was the go-ahead home run in the game, in a game where Garrett Cole was phenomenal to start and then struggled. And even Michael Kay was saying it on the broadcast, when he starts to face a little bit of, of adversity, it seems to go sideways for him. I'm glad that Michael Kay pointed it out on the broadcast because it's impossible to deny at this point. I hope... That doesn't happen in the playoffs. Garrett Cole, they mentioned this on the broadcast as well, is going to have an opportunity to prove himself that he could actually be a really good starting pitcher and a reliable starting pitcher for this Yankee team in the postseason. But Aaron Judge is the story. Aaron Judge continues to be the story by hitting 61. He couldn't even hide his smile as he's rounding the bases. The story leading into this was all about how much he's walking. And it's not like he's walking on pitches, on four pitches. He's walking on pitches that were close to the zone. He's walking on 3-2 counts. And if those pitches were called strikes, it was funny. If those pitches were called strikes, they'd boo. If those pitches were called balls, they boo anyway. It's like, oh, you're pitching around them. You can't have it both ways. Those are borderline pitches. And that's what you love about Aaron Judge is that he was still so patient, even while chasing a home run record. He was patient. Even while chasing a batting title, he was patient. And he was making sure that he hit the pitches that he needed to hit, and he was not expanding the zone. Now, I did think he started trying to lift the ball a little bit more, resulted in a few more flyouts maybe, 
But overall, Aaron Judge is doing exactly what you expect him to do, which is remain patient and be the hitter that he is. And he's helping the Yankees win games, and that's the most important thing. Of course, after the game, Roger Maris' son gets a microphone shoved in his face, and he's not like his father. He's not a superstar athlete. He's the son of a superstar athlete. And so when he gets a microphone put in his face, he says, well, I hope this gets recognized as the real record because this is the real record. This is the clean record. And of course, that's going to make headlines. I'm sure no one will overreact to that. But whether it's regardless of that or not, Aaron Judge doing it and being a Yankee doing it, for all the reasons we've talked about over the last couple of weeks, it's so special. It's the first home run he's hit since I was at the stadium uh, last week. So he waited for me because obviously we had uh, Rosh Hashanah, the Jewish New Year, um, and I couldn't watch any of the games during that time period. I missed Sunday night. I missed Monday night. I caught most of Tuesday night's game. But he waits till Wednesday night to hit the home run just so everyone can see it. Um, and now they're off tonight on Thursday night. And then they play a three-game series against the Orioles. And then another three-game series to wrap up the season in Texas. So he has six more games to essentially break the record. And he most likely will break the record. He most likely will have 62 with six games remaining. He probably should do it. But if not, it's kind of cool. 61 years after Roger Maris hit 61 home runs, Aaron Judge hit 61, and that was in the year 1961 when Roger Maris did it. So 61, 61, 61, obviously you get it. I thought the shots of them zooming into the number 99 on Aaron Judge's back and the number 9 hanging in Monument Park at Yankee Stadium, obviously going back and forth between those shots. There's a lot of you know back and forth here. Another thing, though, Roger Maris, not a career-long Yankee, hopefully, hopefully. Aaron Judge, that's not the case with him. Hopefully he sees what it means to be a Yankee um, and how special it is. You even had Derek Jeter, the captain, tweeting about it, obviously. Um, So, so many special things that happened in this game. And like I said, the biggest thing is that the Yankees won the division. They secured that. This was a division that at one point seemed like it was a given they were going to win. At some point, it seemed like the collapse was a given that was going to happen. And then they finally wrap it up. I think that's the most important thing to happen for the Yankees in Toronto in this series. Also, we talked about the walk, so I briefly want to say this. Everyone's pointing out that Barry Bonds walked so many more times than Aaron Judge did at Barry Bonds in the 2004 season. Well, here's the thing. Aaron Judge only started getting walked like this over the last few weeks. So I think if you look at the numbers side by side and you look at the clip that Barry Bonds was being walked at, Aaron Judge is being walked at a higher rate for over the last two, three weeks of the season. Maybe over the course of the entire season he wasn't. But certainly over the last few weeks, he's definitely been walking at a higher pace or at least as high a pace as Barry Bonds was in that incredible 2004 season. We have a lot of football to get to because it's Thursday. We have another Thursday night game and then a full slate of games on Sunday. And by the way, for all the people who say every week it's a crazy week in the NFL, guess what? Week three proved a lot of things. Number one, not every week is a crazy week in the NFL. Some weeks just suck. Also, it proved... That some weeks there's going to be those wonk weeks where everything is weird. Just literally every single thing went exactly either how you didn't expect it to go or I don't know what's going to happen. But the point is there are always weeks like that and everyone seems to forget. And then week three, it's usually around this time. Week three comes to remind you, oh, no, we're the NFL. We're weird. Weird stuff happens in the middle of the season. And so week three, that was that week for you. But let's start with my Jets because I am a Jets fan and they lose, as I predicted on last Friday's podcast. I said they would lose. I said they didn't really have a chance playing against a team that was so desperate, 0-2, a Cincinnati team that looked so terrible against Micah Parsons, against T.J. Watt. The Jets don't have those guys, and that exactly what I predicted happened, and Joe Burrow drove down the field, made it look easy. 
and it sucks because the Jets caught Cincinnati at a really bad time, and they're catching Pittsburgh now at a really bad time also. Look, you don't want to play Cincinnati ever. They're a tough team to play. But going to Pittsburgh when they have 10 days to prepare, I talked about this, the Pittsburgh Steelers have 10 days to prepare for the New York Jets, and they're coming off a home loss or an inner division loss, I should say, to the Browns. They're not going to want to lose at home. Mike Tomlin's going to have that team ready to play. Now, if the Jets, you have to be good enough to beat that team. But it's not the ideal time for the Jets to have to go and play the Pittsburgh Steelers in Pittsburgh. Same thing the following week. The Jets' schedule just keeps getting worse, and we'll talk about Miami in a little bit later. But Miami's also playing Thursday night. They're playing tonight, and they're going to be playing against Cincinnati. The Miami Dolphins could be coming off their first loss of the season. So when you look at that, that's not a good time for the Jets to be playing them either as Mike McDaniel will have 10 days to prepare for the Jets. So really, just whoever made the scheduling for the Jets, not great, but if you're the Jets, you can't complain about that. You have to overcome it. And we are seeing the same problems now in three consecutive weeks in the season. The third consecutive week where we saw the same exact miscommunication where the Jets have a player running wide open right over the middle of the field on a goal line stand. They're at the goal line. There's not a lot of real estate there. You have to communicate in zone. If you're going to play that zone defense, you have to be able to communicate. And LaMarcus Joyner has not been able to communicate. Whether it's been Rashad Bateman running right open right over the middle. Whether it's been Amari Cooper or now Jamar Chase, who's by the way the best receiver in the league and was getting locked up when he was in man-to-man by Sauce Gardner, who did awesome and got under his skin was irritating him the entire game but then in that one play where you're lined up in that zone defense and again the same two players the same two zone miscommunicated and by the way it just goes to show you Joe Burrow and the Cincinnati Cincinnati Bengals watched that film and watched the Jets and saw that they couldn't defend in that situation and that was going to be the wide open play and apparently the Jets didn't watch the film and they didn't correct it for the third consecutive wing the third consecutive week I should say The coaching situation with the Jets right now is getting completely out of hand. The coaching that we see week after week, the bad penalties, the 15-yard penalties, the personal conduct, the personal fouls, all these things that are happening every single week. How does that happen week after week for a Jets team that's supposed to be well-coached, that clearly has the talent to win games? And now... You're talking about bringing back Zach Wilson, and everyone's going to say, oh, all these problems are going to go away because the problems are all Joe Flacco's fault. I don't know how you could put that pressure on a kid like Zach Wilson. You're going to put all that pressure on Zach Wilson to be the savior right now? How is he going to be the savior? He's not going to come back and just all of a sudden fix all these problems because these problems have nothing to do with the talent. Now, maybe Zach Wilson can overcome. If he's really the guy, if he's the man, he can overcome. There's no reason for him not to beat a Pittsburgh team in Pittsburgh that doesn't have T.J. Watt, that is playing with a quarterback like Mitch Trubisky. Sure, Zach Wilson can go in there and beat them. He is more talented than Joe Flacco. He had a great relationship, I guess, or connection with Elijah Moore last year, and Moore, who hasn't been a part of the offense nearly enough so far this season, could come alive. Maybe Zach Wilson, the Wilson-to-Wilson connection with Garrett Wilson, could all of a sudden turn into an incredible connection. There's so much more they could do, like I talked about last week. Mike LaFleur can design the offense with the two running backs and getting creative with everything and moving Zach around and all the bootlegs and stuff like that will help the offensive line. Yeah, there's a lot the Jets can do to help Zach Wilson to be a better team. But if they keep making the same mistakes on the defensive side in particular, but also just the same coaching and mental errors, if they keep making the same mistakes week after week after week, this is not going to improve. And Zach Wilson is not going to be the savior who's going to help you change your season and turn your season around just because he's coming back and he's a little bit more talented and he's younger and he's supposed to be the future franchise of the or the franchise quarterback of the future. All those things are great, but you can't expect him to change everything if the culture of the team is a losing culture, and right now it definitely is a losing culture. 
I mentioned Sauce Gardner. I bought the jersey. The kid is awesome. He's definitely been a bright spot on this team so far. Him, uh, Garrett Wilson has been a bright spot. And I look, one way or another, I'm excited to see what Zach Wilson can do in this week coming up because Zach Wilson is the future of the franchise. I'm done watching this team for no reason. Even if the Jets are going getting blown out in games, I get to see Zach Wilson and get to see how he's performing. Even if they're making bad errors, bad mental errors, bad mistakes, I could say, okay, this coaching staff is not getting them prepared. Okay, let's fire the coach. That's fine. I can live with fire Robert Sala, but Zach Wilson, let's get to see what he's all about. Let's get to see if he's the guy. Hopefully we get to see that, and one way or another, we're going to find out about Zach Wilson in the coming weeks, at least hopefully if he could stay healthy for the rest of the season. If he can't, I think you have your answer right there, but if he can stay healthy for the rest of the season, we're going to get our answer whether he is the man or not. That doesn't mean he's going to save this franchise from beating itself week after week. On the Bengals side of this, every single year we see this where teams have a Super Bowl hangover and we're always shocked about it. It's like, no, this team's going to be different for various various different reasons, for a variety of reasons. The Bengals are not going to have the Super Bowl hangover. Every other team ever who loses a Super Bowl has a Super Bowl hangover. But no, the Bengals are different, right? They shore up the offensive line. They get better. They weren't even supposed to make it to the Super Bowl last year. They weren't that good. We convinced ourselves of these things. And now they're sitting at 1-2. and And it's not like they had a really convincing win against the Jets. Like I said, the Jets beat themselves so many times in that game. So the Bengals have another huge test against Miami on Thursday night. That's going to be a huge opportunity for the Bengals, but it's also going to be a huge test. They need to show who they really are. If they can be 2-2 two two after that game, beat a team that's looked really good, that just came off beating the Buffalo Bills, had a really great game plan against the Buffalo Bills, yeah, sure, then we could start to talk about this team is a really, really good team. This is the Bengals team that's going to come back and maybe win their division, go to the playoffs, can go to another Super Bowl. Otherwise, we'll really start having to look at the Super Bowl hangover hitting the Bengals hard. Like I said, we had some great matchups. I mentioned Miami and Buffalo. That was a great matchup. Rodgers played Brady, but like I said, still a pretty boring week as far as results despite the matchups. Miami and Buffalo might have been the best game, but I told you to bet the over maybe, and I thought that that was what was going to hit. It's funny because I bet Buffalo originally, and then I changed my mind when I was picking later in the week. I actually did pick Miami to cover and then Miami ultimately wins the game, but I had them parlayed with the over, so I lost anyway. That game ends up going 21-19. to Miami beats the Bills. And what they did in this game was amazing. Because if you look at the stats, it looks like the Bills had, I think they had 90 plays or something to Miami's 30. Literally something insane like that. Where they had so many more plays in them. And they had the ball for the entire game. But Miami, what they showed you is they have a quick strike ability on offense. We knew they have that. But what they were able to do was they forced the Bills to make long, sustained drives. And you know what those drives require? They require discipline. And if you're a team that's coming off weeks where you're used to just airing it out, throwing it downfield, and making big plays, and now you have to put together long, sustained drives, pick up a first down, five yards here, seven yards there, a 12-yard catch over the middle, that type of stuff, and you don't remain disciplined for long enough to complete these drives and to score touchdowns. Instead, you're settling for field goals. You're punting the ball. You're turning it over on downs on fourth down because you had a fourth and one and about midfield after a long drive. Those are things that Buffalo and the Bills need to learn how to complete. That's how you become a complete football team. They need to be more disciplined. But Miami, credit to them, they're going to try and do the exact same thing against Joe Burrow and the Bengals. They're not going to let Joe Burrow have long drives, have quick drives where he just scores a big quick shot over the middle. They're going to make him drive methodically and slowly down the field. It was an excellent game plan by Mike McDaniel and the Miami Dolphins. Um, and the Bills, for them, like I said, 
I said we're going to be talking about the Bills maybe going 9-0 and or 19-0, and I should say, after that game, um, or 20-0, and whatever it is now. Well, I jinxed the Bills. Maybe I could do the same thing for the Dolphins. I think the Dolphins have a real chance if they continue to play the way the, the way they played. They have a real chance to beat the Bengals, and if they beat the Bengals, they're 4-0. All of a sudden, people will start talking about them. So maybe I just jinxed them. I don't know. Which way do you go? Did I just jinx them? Do you think they could actually beat the Bengals? Because, like I said, they could use the same thing they did against the Bills to beat the Bengals. Um, but something that the two teams we were crowning as Super Bowl contenders or the teams that were going to play each other in the Super Bowl last week after week two was the Bills and the Philadelphia Eagles. Now, the Philadelphia Eagles continued to play well. And we'll get to them in a little bit. But Philadelphia is going to need to do the same thing. We talked about how late in games, they kind of just turn it off. Their first halves have been so good that they haven't needed to play so much in the second half. But you're going to have to have real tests in order to learn how to play full games. The Bills never really had a full test. And there's a stat out there where they win most of the time when it's a 10 plus point game. But when it's less than 10 points, they find themselves losing a lot of those close games. It's because of situations like that where you need to learn how to win games by having those long sustained drives, other stuff like that. Um, It's going to be a big test for the Buffalo Bills as we see the season go on. But like I said, I mean, I predicted this. Did I not? I told you the same thing with the Kansas City Chiefs, and I, I posted this on my Instagram because after week one, I said the Bills and the Chiefs look as good as they're ever going to look. That doesn't mean they're not going to have lulls where they look worse during the season. And these were the lulls where they looked worse during the season. Buffalo only able to put up 19 points. Kansas City only able to lose to put up 17 points. They lose to Indianapolis of all teams. I told you that would happen. Did you already forget? I told you that both these things would happen. It doesn't say anything to me about these teams. These teams are going to have games like this throughout the season. They're not going to go undefeated. They could still go, like I said, 13-4, and 14-3. And, and these couple of losses, they have one or two or more of these throughout the season. They just look like blips on the radar. It doesn't say anything about what these teams are actually capable of doing in the long run. I mentioned Philadelphia because that's the team now that everyone wants to talk about. Philadelphia beats Washington 24-8. to And the Eagles, I mean, the Eagles Super Bowl bandwagon is on full throttle now. Everyone's talking about them. They look like the most complete team. It was already like what everyone was talking about going into the season, but now it's even more hyped. Jalen Hurts for MVP, all that stuff. But like I said, there's going to come a time where they're going to have to play a second half of the game, and it's not going to look that great for them. That doesn't mean that I don't think what they've done so far this season is extremely impressive. It is, and they've proven to be a really good team so far this year. So I still think that can continue. I'm in no doubt saying that they can't continue to be on this run and that they shouldn't be getting the credit they clearly deserve. Jalen Hurts, like I said, has been awesome. He really is an MVP candidate so far. Slow your roll. We're three weeks in. Now, one of their three wins came after dominating the Minnesota Vikings and Kirk Cousins in prime time. But Kirk Cousins does what he always does. He comes back against the Lions. He's down in the game because he actually didn't play that well. But when everyone's turning on the game late in the game, he's the one driving down the field making the big plays. At 1 p.m. on a Sunday, a game that was rarely ever on red zone. All of a sudden, at the end of the game, he's coming up with the big plays, making the big throws down the field to win them. 1 o'clock Kirk Cousins might be the greatest quarterback of all time. 1 p.m. Kirk Cousins is as good as it gets. And he comes down and he beats Detroit. And it's like, see, I told you so. See, I'm good. You like that? But it's exactly what he does every single time. And by the way, 9 a.m. when nobody's watching the London game this week against the Saints, he's going to go off. Forget about just one game-winning drive at the end. He's going to have a hell of a game, in my opinion, at 9 a.m. in the London game against the New Orleans Saints because that's what Kirk Cousins does. 
He tricks you, and then the stats look good, and then you're like, ah, Kirk Cousins, I like him. Maybe this team could actually go on a run. They're a pretty good team. They have a great offense. Justin Jefferson, Adam Thielen, Dalvin Cook, Alexander Madison, all those guys. But no, Kirk Cousins just fooled you again. Wait till he comes back and bites you again, because again, every time you buy into him, there's going to be a primetime game where he screws it all up. A game that started off relatively boring, but then ended up being a really good game. This is exactly what you needed from the Ravens. This is exactly what you need to see from Lamar Jackson. I said that going into this game, this is a scary game for the Ravens because even if they get a lead, how are they going to close out this game? One thing that Belichick is so good at is he's taking is taking advantage of your weaknesses. But he tried to take advantage of Kyle Hamilton and he had a hell of a game. And then late in the game, 31-26, I'm sure all the Ravens fans were having deja vu thinking, oh my God, this is where we blow it. How are we going to ice this game? How are we going to run out the clock and make the plays necessary? And Lamar Jackson put the team on his back. He said, I got this. He is on a different level this year. That drive, they went seven plays, 70 plus yards, all Lamar Jackson either throwing or running. He ran out the clock single-handedly, ultimately running for a touchdown to win them the game. Lamar Jackson on that drive showed you MVP Lamar Jackson, and he showed you the improvements that he's made. And when he talks after the game on the podium, he has the same demeanor he does after wins as he does after losses, and he just stands up there, answers the question, and says, yeah, look, I'm just putting the work in. I'm just trying to be the best I can. And Lamar Jackson right now, he's doing the equivalent of what Aaron Judge is doing. He said, no, I'm good. I don't need your contract. I don't need a bad contract. I'm going to go out there and prove it. And like I said, sometimes the cost of doing business is paying the man, and Lamar Jackson is putting himself in a category where, yeah, it sucks. It sucks for the Ra- for the Ravens that the Browns overpaid and gave all that guaranteed money to Deshaun Watson. But Lamar Jackson is going out there and making you look bad, and now they're not even trying to hide it. John Harbaugh said after the game, he's like, I love him. He's improving every week. I, want it. I think he's a franchise quarterback. When people talk about him not being a, pass- a pocket passer, it's just not true. He's taking advantage of the throws he needs to make in the pocket, And then at the end of the game, when he needs to run and ice the game, he's their running game and he's their passing game. He's doing everything for this team. He's been incredible. But another thing that I learned from this game, because before the game, I was talking to people. And even after the game, I was like, wow, he went to beat a tough team in New England. New England's a home opener. Belichick doesn't lose home openers. And even Harbaugh said after the game, he's like, this is a tough team. You'll see they'll be here playoff come playoff time. And my father said to me, he's like, you realize the Patriots stink, right? And Mac Jones isn't very good either. And I'm like, yeah, actually, come to think of it, after watching them, they're really bad. They'll probably still blow out the Jets by 30 points, but this is as bad a Patriots team as we've seen in recent memory. They have no talent on either side of the ball that stands out to you. Their coaching doesn't look that great. Like, Bill Belichick is probably kicking himself right now because they're making dumb mistakes, dumb turnovers, dumb penalties. This doesn't look like a Patriots team. This is as bad as we've seen a Patriots team. And if I'm Bill Belichick, I'd be kicking myself... But right now, this is not the same Patriots. And whether Harbaugh says it after the game, whether you still feel like saying, hey, that's a pretty good Patriots team. That's a good win for the Ravens out there. It's not necessarily true. This Patriots team is not your father's Patriots team or even not the Patriots teams of five, ten years ago. This is a pretty bad or as bad as I've seen in my lifetime of a Patriots team. I told you what would happen in the Tennessee Las Vegas game. Um, And I just can't trust the Raiders at this point. They'll probably win a game when I least expect it. Maybe this week they'll come back and win. But how do you trust the Raiders at this point? Um, and the Titans, really, Aaron Rodgers said it. You're really going to bet off, or I guess count out and bet against Mike Vrabel? You're going to get bet against a guy who's proven that he's a really good NFL head coach in this league. Aaron Rodgers said this. And by the way, if you look at it from the opposite side, Josh McDaniels has never proven that he's a great coach in this league. 
He's a guy who has always shown you that if he's not coaching the Tom Brady-led offense of the New England Patriots, he's not a great head coach. Heck, we don't even know if he's a great coach, period, if he's not using Tom Brady as his quarterback. So that team looks awful, and if you're just looking at it from that perspective, Mike Vrabel versus Josh McDaniels, the right move was to bet and take Tennessee in that game, and ultimately they do win that game. I don't think either of those teams are really good. Like I said, maybe Las Vegas comes, they have some talent. Maybe they come and beat a team when you don't expect it. Maybe they still look pretty good throughout the season because they've had stretches in games. We saw it in the second half this week. We saw it in the first half against the Arizona Cardinals. They've had stretches where they've looked like a really good, fun football team, but they haven't been able to put a full game together. And that's something that you look at coaching and you say, maybe that's the reason for it. And Mike Vrabel's team, always prepared, came out and they beat the Raiders. So Aaron Rodgers called it. Speaking of Aaron Rodgers, he beat the New England Patriots. Romeo Dobbs finally looked good. Maybe he finally has a connection with one of his young wide receivers. And something interesting that happened, and I feel like this happens to the Packers a lot, and it happened also in the game that they lost to San Francisco. When Aaron Jones fumbled, and at that point they would have gone up early, and they would have had a huge lead, and the game would have felt like a blowout at that point. And they were just rolling on offense, and nothing could go wrong. And then from that point on, it was such a struggle for the Packers. The same thing happened against San Francisco last year, where one thing goes wrong, and all of a sudden the whole offense falls apart, when it seemed like the whole offense was clicking for them. And I remember watching that game. I was just so frustrated. I was like, I wasn't even, like, I was just annoyed. I was angry. I was like, why can't this Packers team do anything against the Niners? What is it about the Niners that Aaron Rodgers just sucks against? And that was when they had a guy like Devontae Adams. But this felt similar. This felt like the Packers just letting Brady and the Bucks hang around and give credit to the Bucks' defense. But at the same time, this was an offense that was rolling their first couple of drives of the game. They have that fumble, and all of a sudden, they fall apart. It's weird. Now, the Packers end up winning the game after the catastrophe with the big screen and what was shown on the big screen. Roger says he saw their play, basically, for the two-point conversion. One time, you know, Tom Brady and Tampa Bay, they're not used to being able to uh, just cheat their way. He's used to being able to cheat his way out of things. Now he's on Tampa Bay, and he's like, wait, no, what? Where's Belichick? Where's the Patriots? I can't cheat my way out of this one. And a great job by Rodgers to notice and also to just... Say it in the media, straight up. Yeah, that's how we got their play. It's kind of funny. So that's kind of a catastrophe for the Bucks and for Tom Brady. But the Packers, now a lot of people are going to say, well, they're not really a good team. They stink. Yeah, they're 2-1, but they stink. Yes, and the truth is, they played really poorly. They haven't really played well. They haven't clicked at all. And yet they're 2-1, because that's what good teams do. Good teams find a way to win games early on when they're not finding their way, when they're not that good, when they're not gelling yet, when they're not clicking yet. All of a sudden, that's when they start winning games. And if they're able to win those games, then when it all comes together later in the season, then it's like, oh my God, look at this coming together like this. All of a sudden, they look really good and they don't lose at all. So the fact that they're 2-1, despite playing really poorly, is exactly what good teams do. It's not that good teams, oh, they play really poorly and they lose. And as they come together, it's like they get better and better as the season goes on and then they start winning. No, they find ways to win when it's going bad. And that way, when it's going good, all of a sudden they've built up a pretty good record that they can then build on and start rolling once the season goes on. So if they're three and four or something like that to start the season, then the record doesn't look that great at the end of the year. But if they're four and one and they haven't played their best football yet, then all of a sudden when they start playing really good football at that point, that's when it starts rolling for them and their record goes to a 15 and two record, a 16 and one record, something like that. And that's where I expect the Packers to be at the end of the season. The LA Rams beat the Arizona Cardinals, proving that Kyler can't overcome everything. 
There are so many problems with this team. Cliff Kingsbury is not a great coach. And like I said, Kyler is almost like an NBA player where he can overcome and single-handedly beat these teams, uh, but he wasn't able to do it this week. It's plain and simple. When it's going bad, it looks awful for Kyler. And when he's doing well, it looks really good. It looks really cool that he's single-handedly running out there and beating teams. But like I said, when it looks bad, it's awful. A few other scores. Seattle lost again, this time to Atlanta. I told you Seattle's not very good. Carolina beat the Saints. Both those teams, I think, are pretty bad. Jacksonville won, and that was the most obvious take. And this is the weirdest thing. I told you Jacksonville to take the plus seven because at one point it was plus seven. We weren't sure if Herbert was going to play. The line moved on Sunday to like three and a half. Um, But Herbert did play in the end and just didn't make sense for him to be out there. And so lose-lose if you're Justin Herbert because if you don't play, it's like, oh, this guy, he's soft, blah, blah, blah. And if you do play and you stink and you're clearly hurt, then what's the point? Like, What's the point of playing if you're clearly hurt? And it kind of sucks for Justin Herbert. Either way, it was a lose-lose situation. I did see that like he was in the game way too late. Once it was a 25-point game, then you're clearly hurt. It's a 20 and it's a 25-point game. You might as well come out of the game. I get before the game trying to be the tough guy and being like, "Hey, I got that dog in me. I'm going to play." All that stuff. But at this point, like clearly he didn't have it. He should have been sitting in that fourth quarter. So that's just bad coaching by Brendan Staley. More bad coaching, I should say, by Brendan Staley. Chicago is the worst 2-1 team as they win again. Now, the Texans aren't a very good team either, but Chicago, I don't understand how they're 2-1. What's amazing is that one of those two teams, Chicago is playing the Giants this week, and one of those two teams is going to end up being 3-1. That's going to be wild. And if you think about it overall, the NFC, we talked about this, there are not that many good teams. I keep telling you that, yeah, there's this team, they played like this, but I don't think they're that good. Like we talked about Philly, Washington, Minnesota, Detroit, all these teams, are they really that good? Even Green Bay and Tampa Bay and all these teams, Arizona, the Rams, none of them have looked all that great. And so you think about it, Chicago, the Giants, those are two teams that actually could make a run in the NFC because there's just not a ton of great teams in the NFC and they're off to a good start. Chicago 2-1, and one, the Giants 2-1, and one, like I said, one of those teams is going to be 3-1 and one after this week. Sunday night football was just an awful game, 11-10. to 10. What is that score? Now, I do blame the San Francisco coaching staff a little bit here. They kind of held out Jimmy Garoppolo. Usually you hear about the players holding out during training camp. This time it was the opposite. They were the ones who held out Jimmy Garoppolo because they didn't want him hovering. They didn't want him around. They didn't want him hanging over against Trey Lance or with Trey Lance there. But now Trey Lance is gone and it's hurting your team that Jimmy Garoppolo is getting a late start on everything. Yeah, he ran this offense last year and I guess the year before, but still... It's kind of looking bad for them that Jimmy G was not prepared, and so you can't really blame Jimmy G for that. I do somewhat blame San Francisco, even though I know that's been a controversial topic this week. And by the way, Russ is just so bad. Can we just admit it at this point? His new TikTok, promoting his sandwich is weird. He looks fat. It's just weird. Everything about him is weird. There's a weird vibe with him. I, if Can you imagine having seven more years of Russell Wilson? Maybe this will be a bad take, but seven more years he's locked in in Denver. That can't be a good feeling for the Denver Broncos right now. And on Monday Night Football, Cooper Rush just shows you that he can't lose. He keeps winning. Jerry Jones loves a good quarterback controversy. And we're only about a week or two away of Cooper Rush continuing to play halfway decently of this conversation getting to Dak Prescott overtook Tony Romo. Will Cooper Rush overtake Dak Prescott? I can't wait for that conversation. It's just a classic football middle of the week not much to talk about. Boring week, NFL week to talk uh, topic, and I can't wait for all the shows to do it uh, when Dak Prescott is ready to come back. One guy who's all the way back is Saquon Barkley. Saquon Barkley looks like he's fully himself. 
he almost carried this Giants team to a victory. And like I said, one this Giants team might end up being three and one. Either them or the Bears will be three and one. If the Giants start winning games, they probably won't trade Saquon Barkley. But I do think still the right decision. This team is not as talented as they're playing right now. The coaching is great. I get that. I think the best decision is to get a ton of picks and see and trade Saquon Barkley. They could get a ton for him. He could really help a Super Bowl contending team. That could be really cool to see. Maybe even Philadelphia. They would never trade him in the division, but Philadelphia, who's running like a running back by committee, we'll see what they do. Um, but ultimately, I do think they the right move for them is to trade him away, to trade Saquon Barkley away. Uh, but the Giants got to give them credit. They look pretty good now. I'm nine and seven in my picks so far. I went nine and seven uh, this week. I'm 27 and 21 overall in the season. It's not been a great year for me. I, I really hope to come back, and it starts Thursday night. Thursday night football, um, and then we'll kind of talk some career stuff, and then we'll wrap it up. Thursday night football, Cincinnati against Miami. Like I said, I didn't even look what the over under is. Always bet the under on these Thursday night games, especially a game like this where people expect there to be a lot of points scored with Miami, with Cincinnati, two high-powered offenses. I told you, I think both teams are going to be trying to force the other team to have long, sustained drives, and their strategy for both these teams is going to be just don't beat us deep. You're not going to get deep on us, whether you're Waddle, whether you're uh, Tyreek Hill, or whether you're Cincinnati and Jamar Chase. I think both teams are going to be saying, you can't beat us deep, throw everything underneath, have long, sustained drives. Field goals, punts, all those types of things, turnovers on down. We're going to make you have long, sustained drives in order to beat us. Uh, So I think it'll be a close game. I think it'll be a good game. But I expect Miami to do the exact same thing. And I think Cincinnati is going to try and emulate what Miami did to Buffalo and try and use Miami's own poison against them. So that should be an interesting game. Maybe not a lot of points. Maybe it'll feel like a boring game. But I think it'll actually be a great chess match of the chess match of the two coaches. And I think it's a team where Cincinnati, I think, is still a little bit desperate to win. You don't want to be one in three. It's not like they're out of the woods just yet. And Miami is out there to prove a point that they want to prove we are this good. We want to be four and zero. We want to prove that we are the cream of the crop. We just beat the Bills. No, we're the cream of the crop in the AFC. Cincinnati is favored minus three and a half at home. I think they'll win. I think Cincinnati will ultimately beat. Miami, I don't think Miami will be 4-0. Like I said before, does that make them actually end up being 4-0? Because last week I said the Bills would be 4-0. I don't know. But I do think Miami will cover, so I'm going to take Miami either way. I think it'll be a good game. But 3.5, maybe Cincinnati wins by a field goal or by a couple of points. I still think they win, but Miami covers the 3.5. All right, pretty short episode because we'll have the Thursday night recap episode and the Sunday preview episode tomorrow. So lots to talk about you, lots to talk to you about still. Um, But I do want to give a career update. I'm working on a bunch of things. I'm still working for the fan, but if you follow me on Twitter, um, you see that I took on a new role for Fox Sports. It's really exciting. It's basically running uh, pre and post game uh, production for Fox Sports on a team that is in charge of making highlight and promo videos uh, with music and voiceovers and stuff like that using the Fox Sports uh, portfolio um, and all their videos for the NFL, for college football, for Major League Baseball, the World Series on Fox, the Super Bowl this year is on Fox. So having the name Fox Sports uh, in my portfolio and on my profile and using a big name like that and having the opportunity to work on the TV side and just expand. It's really incredible. Like I said, it all started with this podcast. So I thank everyone who listens. Um, But 
like I said, there's a lot going on. Actually, if you listen this morning, if you listen Friday, if you listen on uh, this afternoon and Monday morning and afternoon, I'm doing the traffic reports on 105.7 The Fan on today's 101.9 LIF and on 106.5 Mix. So I'm doing the traffic reports. I'm still working at The Fan, obviously doing Sunday day games or game days, I should say. (laughs) Um, And then we have this Fox Sports gig, which should be fun also. So a lot going on. Um, And like I said, there's no clear path. There's kind of no right way to do it in this industry. There's no, I don't know what you want to call it, kind of path. That's that's the best way I could say it. Um, But there's no blueprint of how to advance in this uh, industry and where kind of your path takes you and where the journey takes you. So I always said I kind of want to, if I could leave a blueprint for the next person to come along, if I can try and make something happen for someone else. Uh, I'd love to be able to do that. So I kind of like to share my story because I think each individual unique story in this industry is uh, super cool and interesting. So uh, I hope uh, you enjoy listening to me, but this is just another big step. And like I said, this is a big step for me, but it's a big step for everyone because the people who listen and support this podcast are the reason why I'm able to do the things that I'm able to do. And like I always say, we're just getting started. It hasn't even been a year since I moved over to the media side. I'm still doing the podcast for under two years um, and haven't been at Odyssey for uh, even a year and a half yet. So it's or maybe about a year and a half now. But it's really incredible what we've been able to do. And Fox Sports, just a huge network like that, and another opportunity to take uh, more steps in my career is just really exciting. And I, I can't wait. And I can't thank everyone enough. Um, as far as the podcast, we have some great games coming up. I'm going to preview them on the Friday pod. We'll have a Monday pod and I think maybe a Thursday pod. Uh, Yom Kippur is in the middle of the week next week, so no promises when the next episode will be out. But there probably won't, hopefully will be a Monday morning pod, but probably won't be a Wednesday morning pod, as you can assume. Um, so maybe we'll do one Thursday at some point again. Uh, maybe the Thursday, Friday pod will kind of get mixed into one podcast. This one's a little shorter, so maybe we'll do two shorter podcasts like this uh, again next week. But whatever it is, uh, just look out for that and look out for all my stuff. TikTok, Instagram, uh, Twitter, obviously. Still running the Jets giveaway. We want to give away those Jets tickets. So if you want to go to the Jets game, like and subscribe to the podcast so that uh, you have a chance to win all that good stuff. And just message me on Instagram saying that you subscribed. And follow us on Instagram, and that way you can enter. Uh, So all that good stuff. Thank you so much again for listening. Uh, I hope there's plenty more great stuff to come. Until next time, see ya. With the best nights of my life You got the light that always shines I miss the way that you move and the way I get high When you take me to your eyes Like I'm standing in the sky I see your subway cars and your old graffiti I breathe your air when I land in another city I'll be that one that's got you printed on my bones Yeah, you're all I know Everywhere I go, oh, oh, I change it up, oh, oh Always on my road, I'm still New York You're the only oh, oh, oh that I'll ever know My concrete walls, I'm still New York Drive down Riverside See the birds flying on the high line With the sidewalks burning We pray for rain in July I 
Well, the Yankees 99 yeah. And the Knicks on a sold-out night When the curtains close and the Broadway streets are alive hey. I need your heartbeat close, don't you ever leave me And I breathe your air when I land in another city And I'll be that one that's got you printed on my bones My time's being just a kid with that empire state of mindset. Kick flipping off a blind deck, dipping from the New York City's finest. Yeah, said I've been up on my New York shit, walking down the block with my New York bitch. I can never leave my city, ain't nothing like it. Even if I do, though, I can never hide it. Top down on the west side when I'm driving, east side be the only side that I'm riding. I'm still here.